Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's a wonderful opportunity that our God has given us by His grace to be here tonight. Thank you for coming to be with us and to praise and honor our God together. Let His Word speak to us and definitely find ourselves doing exactly what it was that Reagan mentioned, and that is taking what we learn and understand and to use it in a life for His sake and not ours. It has been a blessed day, and I know you appreciate the opportunity God's given you to live another day and pray that each day as it goes by, you realize how closer we are in getting to heaven to be with him forever. I hope you understand the value of that. I would like for us to think about Romans chapter 12 and notice things that are found in verse 3, verse 5, through verse 5. For he says, I saved through the grace that was given to me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but so to think as to think soberly, according as God has dealt to each man in measure of faith. For even as we have many members in one body, and all the members have not the same office, so we who are many are one body in Christ and severally members one of another. And again, as I mentioned before, I'm reading from the American Standard Version of that passage. I was looking before we started the worship service this evening to find a little young boy or young girl to ask him one question. And... I could have asked that among some of the middle school and high school students, but I was looking for somebody that was under the age of middle school to ask them, what can you do? And I have asked that question to some young children before, and there's, there's multitudes of things that they can do. And the, the most interesting thing about that, when you ask them what is it that they can do, they not only will tell you that, they'll say, I'll, I'll show it to you. Let me show you what I can do. And then they proceed into whatever it is that they say they can do. And there's a lot of people that can do a lot of things. And if I were to go around the room, I could ask you that question, what is it that you can do? And I'm not talking about what work you do. I'm just saying what is it that you can do that may or may not be what somebody else can do. And some people can say, well, I can pull this out of that, or I can do a card trick, or I can run, or I can jump, or I can balance three tennis balls in the palm of my hand, or whatever it may. They, there's all kinds of things that people could do. One of the most interesting things about that is that there are times when you don't even have to ask that question, and there will be people who will freely and willingly tell you what they can do. And they'll give the list of all the things that they can do. And they will describe it in great detail as to what they can do. And you didn't want all that information. You didn't ask for all that, but you got it, whether you asked for it or not. Now, was that a delightful conversation, or was that a very disgusting moment of which you heard all these bits of information from this person? Listen, listening to what is stated in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 through verse 5, this moment of which Paul moves from verse 1 and 2 
as we've talked about the last couple of days, to understanding very clearly, as we talked about last night, proving what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God, then he moves into something of which is a great understanding. Knowing that we are transformed in our life, here we are as people who know and understand and hopefully are willing to accept responsibility, accept the identity of who we are. And the assignment given to those of us that are Christians. There are times where people that become Christians, one of the first questions they ask is, what is it that I can do in the kingdom? And they would like to get their pen or pencil out and start writing down a list of all the things that they can do. And they may ask that question to the teacher that's taught them the gospel. It could be the preacher. It could be the elders. It could be a deacon. It could be a Bible class teacher. But they just want to know, give me a list of all the things that I should be doing. And they, they write all this down. Some of those things are part of the assignment. But before the assignment is ever given by God to us, are we ready for the assignment? Whatever the assignment may be. I hope we don't take the mentality like Jonah did when he's given this commission to go to the city of Nineveh to preach to people that are wicked. And he goes the opposite way. I hope we're ready to receive the gospel, not just at the moment of which we're to say, but also it's in, in its entirety and everything that pertains to life and godliness. Because it's not just at the moment of which we find ourselves baptized in the body of Christ. That's all, which some folks in the religious world seem to think that's about the extent of it. Just accept the Lord. But it goes beyond that. And would we be willing to accept the invitation? Jesus says, come to me, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. But at the end of the book of Luke chapter 9, as Jesus talks about those that are his disciples, they're beginning to be people who make excuses, to immediately come and follow him, wherever it would be that he'd want them to go. And we talked about some the other night that were ready, ready and willing. Some of them hesitated and gave excuses. But a lot of this has to do with this. In the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it has a lot to do with how you think. How you think about yourself as well as about this assignment. One of the things that you and I must understand is that this is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God that's giving you this assignment that we talked about last night. And as a result of that, this is not something that you're giving this assignment because of your willpower. In other words, there's a strength quality that you've got that other people do not have, and as a result of that, God knows that, God sees that, and says, okay, I'm going to give this to him. I'm going to give this to her. Because they've got the zeal, they've got the enthusiasm, they've got the fervor, they've got the knowledge, they've got the background. They've been there, they've done that, or whatever it may be, and he says, okay, I'm going to give this, this assignment. And it's not one of these things that you say, I know I need to be better at I know I'm going to have to do this. I know I'm going to have to stop doing that. I know this is what I'm going to need to do. And a lot of those things might be true about that. 
Yet when you look at the book of Ephesians chapter 2, when you see what is stated prior to what's mentioned in verse 10, he talked about how it is that for by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourself it is the gift of God. And then he goes on and says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God afore prepared that we should walk in them. God afore prepared that we should walk in them. There's an assignment that's going to be given to you. Even in the case of Ephesians chapter 4, where we are to put off the old man and put on the new, he says in verse 24, put on the new man that after God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Yes, you may need to be better at this. You may need to start doing, and you may need to know, and you may need to, whatever you want to use to complete the sentence, but let us be the ones who understand this is coming from the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that has a lot to do with how you think about Scripture. How do you think about Scripture and what the assignment is that God reveals to you? We should be definitely, according to what is stated in Romans chapter 12, approaching this in verse 2 with the renewed mind, a renewed mind that we want to do this. We are after the motive in our hearts to do everything that God asks of us to do in his will. And that almost goes without saying, but sometimes I think we understand, could understand a little bit better of this. When you go back to Romans chapter 1, I'm trying to pull all of these bits and pieces out of the book of Romans as it relates to this passage in Romans 12, to get us to understand who are these group of people that he's talking to in this case. That helps us understand why would he say what he says in verse 3 of Romans 12, through the grace of God given to me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than they ought to think. Some of which may have come as a result of the way the Gentiles thought about themselves and or about God. In the book of Romans chapter 1, verse 23, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God for the likeness of an image of corruptible man. How could you give an assignment from God to somebody like that? Because they're going to reject it immediately. Verse 25. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped their, served the creature rather than the creator. Even verse 26. For this cause God gave them up and the vile passions for the women change the natural use of that which is against nature. It would be very difficult to give an assignment to somebody that thinks they are God and does what they want to do. You can't give a godly assignment to somebody that thinks that way. Therefore, to say what he says here and to understand our thinking makes a big difference as to the next step that we take. And he even mentioned how in this text that we are the people that should not think of themselves more highly than we ought to think. So at this moment in time, in the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he is addressing a matter that, in many cases, we all have to deal with. Our pride. Our pride. It can go with one of two ways. It can go to the direction of where I can do anything you ask me to do because I've got the skill, the experience, the ability, to the other side that says, I don't have anything that I could do. I don't know, I know of nothing I could do. I don't know if I've got the skill to do anything. Almost as if to say, acquire a sense of self-pity for themselves. 
And then he says here, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. He's, he's def, definitely approaching this hyperthinking that some people would have. So the thinking has a lot to do with the assignment that's given. Trying to remove the pride is definitely a valuable point. And that was approached here in the book of Romans because as Romans chapter 8, as we talked about last night, we find ourselves back, I should say, back on Sunday night about finding ourselves renewed in the mind that we do not conform to the world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. So Romans 8 verse 7 is a very key point where he says, the mind of the flesh is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. And they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It's always going to be about you. The English Standard Version uses this verse and says, it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Chapter 11 brings out the very same thing. As he mentions this in verse 18, he says, Glory not over the branches, but if thou gloriest, it is not, is it not, that thou bearest the fruit, but the fruit thee. Same chapter, verse 20. Well, by their unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by thy faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. Again, chapter 11, verse 25, For I, brethren, would not have, brethren, would not have you ignorant of this mystery, lest ye be wise in your own conceits, that a hardening heart has befallen Israel under the fullness of the Gentiles become. And then here in chapter 12, you see something that's stated in verse 16. Be of the same mind one to another, set your mind on things, on, not on high things, but condescend to things that are lowly. Be not wise in your own conceits. And we'll talk a little bit more about that on Thursday night. So he's trying to get the pride out of either the Jew or the Gentile, whatever it may be, to become united in the same thinking, same mindset of the renewed mind that verse 1 talks about. Beginning, excuse me, in verse 2 that he talks about. And when the mind is renewed and no longer setting itself in conformity to the world, then it has the ability to listen very carefully with great understanding to whatever it is that God assigns. Now we get to understand a little bit more about God's standard of the identity assessment that goes on here in this text. The assessment, the assessment is to think by the measure of which God has supplied. So to think is to think soberly, according as God has dealt to each man a measure of faith. And that's a very interesting point to say faith has a lot to do with this assignment. We know Romans ten seventeen earlier in the book, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And maybe we just thought that was just for the person that didn't need to be a believer that was not. But here he talks about how it is that this is something of which God has dealt to each man a measure of faith. What is it that you believe about this assignment that God's given to you? And one of the first and foremost things is that you look away from you and you look to the image 
that you're trying to duplicate, and that's Jesus Christ. You look away from what you do and what you think about yourself, and you live by faith to be like Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, 13 talked about the very same thing. Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ. It's trying to measure up not to your capability, but it's to the faith of which God's given to you. Believe what he says as an assignment for yourself. Man or woman, but as a child of God. Let me just let you think about something just a moment. Go with me to James chapter 1. This is just an example. So here we are. We're, we're seeing that we are to be the believers of faith. We are to be the people who live in this faith. And where we get this faith comes from Scripture. So looking, looking at this mirror, like James 1 says, we look into this mirror, and what do we see? You will see, according to verse 25, but he that looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and so continues, being not a hearer that forgets, but a doer that works. Now you, now you will see that as the assignment is given to us by God, we see in this mirror, and we believe it because God said it, now we know we need to be working. Therefore, what is there that you need to work on? What assignment do you have? Well, watch verse 26. If any man thinks himself to be religious, while he bridles not his tongue, but deceives his heart, this man's religion is vain. You remember when we talked about that last night, about proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? One of the assignments, among many of the assignments that all of us have, is to watch what you say. Be careful. Use self-control with your speech. Do not let this idea of being a Christian and transform just to be a veneer, just to be a facade, just to be something that people are impressed with seeing in you. Because if you don't bridle your tongue, you deceive your heart and your religion is vain. So that's just one assignment among many. Therefore, see this, let faith measure who you are, Believe in what God says. Put the value and the significance and the esteem and the honor on the primary spiritual godly trait. See this assignment. It's yours. Now, there may be a lot of other people that need to deal with their tongues and work on their mouth. Yes. But don't accept yourself to say, I don't think I'll be able to do this. But let's go a little bit further and understand this faith is what's eliminating the boast. It keeps this way out of the picture here in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. We don't find ourselves doing this. But the problem is, the tendency is, is we find ourselves assessing ourselves based upon ourselves, based upon what it is that we believe we can do. As I alluded to in other instances, the book of Romans chapter 2 talks to the Jews about their faith in Abraham. Excuse me, about the Jews, I guess you'd say, glory in the law, boasting in the law, and yet not really fulfilling the things in their life that says they are people of God. And it caused 
the Gentiles to blaspheme the name of God? Verse 25. One of the most interesting segments of Scripture that you will see is Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus is approaching these people who are assessing themselves by themselves. Even though they would talk about Scripture, even though it says in verse 3, all things therefore whatsoever they bid you these do and observe, but do not after their works, for they say and do not. Even in verse 13, problem existed. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut the kingdom of heaven against men, but you enter not in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to enter in. When it comes down to the faith that we have to accept, accept this assignment that God gives to us and look very carefully at this assignment, do not be so high-minded to think it's just going to be something on the outside that's really, really significant. It's already been tried. It's already been done. And there's less honor given to Jesus because people fail to meet God's expectations. And it's all about them. And if God assigns me to train my children, then if the children turn out to be what God asks of them to be, is it going to be because of my knowledge and ability that they got there? Or is it going to be by this assignment that God's given to me and I fulfill it as he asked me to do it? I mean, if, if God's giving me this assignment to study the Scripture, as he says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, so I can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, if he's given this, me this assignment, then I turn out to have more knowledge Am I going to say it's because of my intellectual ability to recall that I've got this ability to do this? Is that what's going to be so significant? I mean, if, if my life turns out to be exactly what he asked me to be pure, am I going to say it's all because I admitted myself to a 30-day program that just focused on being pure, and as a result, I came out this way? I mean, do we, do we believe in what God asks of us to be and then let all the results be to his glory or is the outcome something that we boast about and glory in to say it's all because I did it the way he wanted me to do it? It absents itself from humility, totally, to say I'm the one that did all this. But let me, let me, let's go one more step further here. To talk about this idea of the standard of assessment, it's not that we assess ourselves by ourselves. And we say, okay, this is the way the church exists because of what I've put into it. And if it wasn't for me, it wouldn't live. It wouldn't exist. Talk about all the rest of the people. Talk about all the different proportions among the members that he mentions in verse 4 of the book of Romans chapter 12. What about them? You're leaving them out, as if to say it's all about you. When the assignment's not just to you, there's a lot of other people that this assignment's given to. Verse 4, for even as we have many members in one body, and all the members have not the same office. 
That's a whole lot like the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 14 and verse 18. There is a, there's an event. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in just a minute. There's an event that I was studying about this afternoon that just came to my mind as I was looking at this. And it was the day in the book of Acts chapter 8 when Simon the sorcerer was converted. Simon the sorcerer was converted in verse 9 through verse 13. After Philip came and he did all these miracles and then it really provoked some action on the part of Simon to be baptized up there in verse 13 of this chapter. When the apostles from Jerusalem came down, Peter and John laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. For it was not yet fallen... For it, as yet it was fallen upon none of them, only that they had been baptized in the name of the Lord, verse 16. Then laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, if it's all about Simon, I get the very next verse. Now, when Simon saw that through the laying on the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money. If it's all about Simon, if it's all about him assessing his value to the kingdom based upon what he could do before that he deceived everybody else with, why not give it to him? Why not give him this ability? Why not let him have this power to spread it everywhere? He's already done it. He's already deceived people with a false power. Why not give him the true power? Because he assesses himself and he doesn't live by faith in the hands of the apostles laying on the Spirit to these people and let it lay where it lays and rejoice in that and wishing he just had it himself. Why can he not be thankful that everybody there has the Holy Spirit too? Rather than just trying to get it all to himself and promote it in the body of Christ. Now, I don't have all the answers as to why they didn't, God did not let him have this power other than to say he purchased, tried to purchase it with money. But in relationship to what we're talking about this evening and how it is that we assess ourselves by ourselves, and we sometimes absent ourselves from the proportions, different proportions of the members, sometimes I think that illustrated to me how it is that that Holy Spirit needs to be spread among everybody. Everybody needs to experience the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. When you see this passage, how it is that it states in verse 14 that we have this one Spirit. And having this one spirit, there's so much value to the fact that this one spirit is for the whole body. It says in verse 14, the body is not one member but many. Yet there are people that talk about, I'm not like everybody else. Since they are not the hand. Since they are not the foot. Since they are not the ear. Then there's probably not of any value that they could give to the body of Christ. Nothing whatsoever would make a difference. But you will notice in verse 18, 
now has God set the members, each one of them in the body, even as it pleased him. The way God has found this, believe this by faith, God set this in order, and the identity of the transformed person in Jesus is not set out to judge what everybody else does. It listens to the assignments, therefore they soberly make judgments to think according to God's standard of assessment and assignment and follow that pattern and submit with a transformed, humble mind exactly what God asked them to do. Because humility is finding ourselves in the position where we find sometimes we are tempted to think if we're not like everybody else, sometimes we wish we were somebody else. Maybe if we were just in a better place, it would be so much better. Just like that person. And if I was, then I would be a contributor. I would be of more value to God. If I didn't have children at my house, I could do the same thing they did. If I was, had a lot more, more, lot more money, then I could do exactly what they do. If I had a bigger this and a bigger that, and more this and more that, just like they do, then I would be able to do more. And if my voice was like that, then I could do this. And if my ability was like this, then I could do that. Just the same thing they do. But is that really what God's looking for out of you and out of me? To yield to the temptation that if I was just like somebody else, it would be much better. Rather than just humbling myself to say, take on what God has assigned me to be and do. And you look quickly at that list of verse 6 through verse 8, teaching, prophesying, giving, leading, all those things. And you think, I've got to find myself in one of those areas. I might be able to find myself on all that if I just gave myself a true understanding of this assignment that God asked of me to be. It would do us all good if we just accept the assignment. Accept the assignment that God has given to us and humbly accept this assignment. Because if, if, if we approach this with self-sufficiency, if we approach this with self-determination, I mean, if, if we come to this passage with this, this really A-plus personality that we've got all the skills and we go and we go and we go and we're so A-centered personality, I'm, you come to this passage, folks, you're going to get a brain fry. You're going to see the humility of not you being conscious of your achievements, but you're conscious of God's grace delivering to you a measure of assignment not because of your GPA, not because of your IQ, not because you've got the ability to put out a good resume, but because he sees your worth. Because he's called you. You sacrificed yourself. You renewed your mind. You transformed it. And you're not conformed to the world anymore. And you become to be the greatest in the kingdom because you serve. Serve. Didn't say give all the list of the serving places, but it said be the servant. 
Sometimes maybe I guess we think that God would do his greatest work to, to unite the church if everybody did the very same thing. Rather than fulfilling all these portions, these proper proportions, of which he has says, these differences are the differences that I want. Because number one, it creates dependence upon me for their ability. Number two, it creates an interdependent situation that everybody needs everybody else. And the other thing is, it really presents the whole theme of servanthood. You have to love God's wisdom in all the parables, especially the one that relates to this topic here. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 to verse 30, the parable of the, the, of the talent man. And when he gives out these talents, different ones to different people, according to what the passage said to their several ability, and two of them double it, one of them hides his, So, so what's the two men doubling theirs for? Personal assessment. They got the skills. They want to show off to the Lord. They want to make sure that He's going to really praise them and glorify them. Or is it that they do it for the Lord's sake, for His household, and to His honor, and not to the greatness of their own talent? Because who gave the talent anyway? The Lord did. And one of the most interesting things when you go a little bit further in that parable is a statement that is made in verse 28 after the judgment is delivered to the one talent man because he hid his, or I should say, hid it and dug it in the earth. He is asked to bring it up and take it to the ten talent person. Sometimes we leave that off. So God needs that ability to continue to exist. Not that we just keep it hidden under the earth. Take it and give it to somebody else that will glorify his kingdom. Accept the responsibility. That's what we're looking for in the kingdom. According to Romans chapter 12, verse 3, only our assignments are given to us by the head. Now, I know elders may ask you to do this and want you to do this. I know that's, that's done. But the real assignment is given to you before they ever ask of you to do anything. And I don't know of any set of elders that would not love to give an assignment, quote-unquote, to somebody that has not already received the assignment for God to live by faith by what he's given to them. The body, the church, is going to need every member to function. Every member. From the back to the front, to this side, to that side, and in between, everywhere. And we have to be the people who will understand what God's grace provides us to be and do. When, when Timothy was approached by Paul about vessels in the house. This is, this is what he said in the book of First Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, 21 rather. If a man purge therefore himself from these, 
He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared for every good work. And the scripture, according to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, prepares us for every good work. It gives us everything that we need to be complete and holy. Besides this gift, this ability, this opportunity, this assignment given to you by God for His glory in the kingdom, chapter 4 of Ephesians says in verse 16, From whom all the body fitly framed and knit together through that which every joint supplies according to the working due measure of each several part makes the increase of the body under the building up of itself in love. The edification it brings to everybody else is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. To give you an example of that, how it is that you, you, don't, you don't focus on your emptiness, but you, you focus on God's fullness to provide you what ability you have in the kingdom? There's a man, a brother in Christ by the name of John, and there's a sister in Christ by the name of Gail. Both of them are 35 years old. John, he is a chemical engineer, works for a chemical company firm in the city, and makes very good money, very wealthy individual. He has two children. He is married, very great marriage, wonderful example. He's a deacon in the church. Gail, she is 35, but she was born with a mental deficiency that doesn't provide for her the ability to walk without a walker and without braces on her legs from her knees down, both legs. She is very slow in learning. She is an individual that is a Christian, just like John. She lives in government housing with government assistance. And they both go to the same church. John, as a deacon, and as well-educated as he is, and wealthy as he is, could very well be one who could enlighten himself and assess himself based on either Gail's character and situation and ability or everybody else and believe he is definitely one of the most valuable assets to the kingdom where he is. Gail on the other side, with all her deficiencies, her inability here very well because she's almost completely deaf, speaks very broken in all of her English, doesn't make complete sentences. It sees member of the family of God, and she can look at herself as a complete failure and absent herself from any participation in anything except maybe worship service at best. John is a deacon that serves Gail in that church. Gail serves John by writing John cards of appreciation for what John does. Both, absolutely both, 
without a doubt, are transformed by the renewing of their mind and their assessment. According to what the Scriptures say, think as thinking soberly as God has dealt to each man a measure of faith. Their identity is truly assessed by the transformation of which they've experienced by God's mercies, by sacrificing themselves to Him and to be used as a transformed individual identified by God. When Reagan mentioned the statement that he did a while ago about taking what we apply from what we have learned this evening, and I would say any other time, to our life, and that be a part of prayers often many times before or at the conclusion of the service, the closing prayers usually mention those things. You know that was somewhat of a prayer of what Paul mentioned to the church at Thessalonica in chapter, the second book, first chapter, verse 3. It's almost as if he said, take what you learn and apply it to your life. Here's what he said. We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, even as it is me for that your faith, applying it in parallel to what we talked about tonight in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, your faith groweth exceedingly, and the love of each one of you all toward one another abounds, so that we, ourselves, Glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecution and in the affliction which you endure. And on and on and on it goes. Take what you apply. And he is in essence saying the very same thing about they have taken what they've applied and he's saying they're growing exceedingly in this faith, about the assignment and the assessment of which God's given to them and they're growing in the proportion of which God's given to them. Over in First Timothy chapter 4, I'm going to end here because this is where we're going to take up tomorrow night. In his message to Paul to Timothy, he says in verse 14 of chapter 4, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given to thee by the prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. And, and immediately, if you ended that, which he does it with a period, you may think, we need that man here. We, we've got to get this guy here. He's got to work for us. He's got to be a part of our family. But he says, be diligent in these things. So let me just offer you this word of information here. If Timothy came with all those traits in verse 14, without verse 15, to apply it, give diligence to your everyday walk of life, it wouldn't have done him any good in any church, wherever he went. But be diligent in these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy progress may be manifest to all. Now watch this. Take heed to yourself. That's almost to say, do not think highly of yourself than you ought to think. And thy teaching, continue in these things, for in this you will, do, you will save both yourself 
And then here they. What a wonderful means of understanding for Timothy. And I take that personally to say the same thing that God's saying to me. I mean, I mean, are you ready for the assignment that God has for you? I mean, are you ready to take this and apply it to your life? Why not? Just like the song says, let him have his way with you. His way with thee. Because there's room in the kingdom for all that you can do, as we sometimes sing. If you're not a Christian, tonight I would not petition you to be a Christian all because you see all these mean and wonderful people doing all the mean and wonderful things that they do. I would say be a Christian because of the mercies of God to sacrifice yourself, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will, as others have, prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Not to think highly of yourself more than you ought to think, but to think soberly that God, by His grace, has given you a measure of faith. It's what God can do in you that you cannot do in yourself. To save you specifically is of what's greatest importance right now. Repent. Just be baptized for the remission of your sins. Be saved. Rise up to walk in newness of life. Do what's right. Well, together we sing this song.